Well, I hope everybody had a good Christmas and we're looking forward to the new year. Um, we're going to go ahead and start this lesson this week and uh, it's the first time we've, we're posting something back online for anybody that couldn't make it to be able to hear what we were talking about. We're actually going to go through the rest of the book of Mark for the end of the year and we're going to be talking about a new beginning. So we're about to celebrate New Year's Eve and New Year's Day where we sort of understand that the old year has gone and we celebrate a new year for some new beginnings. This is why we have New Year's resolutions, right? We're trying to make the, new, the year to come better than the one we're leaving behind. And that's what a year, that's what a year, 2020, the year 2020 has been, right? One of the toughest in our lifetime. Because not only do we have regular life events we're still going through, all the sufferings, heartaches, and so on. But we've had the, the added bonus of this COVID-19 pa- pandemic and all of the fallout that comes with living through that. And so we look longingly at the year to come, don't we? We dare to hope that 2021 will be better, a better year. It has to be, right? And so we come back to the book of Mark. And as we do, we, we, we have this in mind. Our year, our hurts, our struggles. And though we do not and should not plop our lives into the stories we read in the Bible, we do take the principles from the scripture to help us navigate where we're going, and, that, and, and what we've, we've been through, right? And ultimately, what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, with the sin that we face daily and throughout the year. And so we left off from Mark 11, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, in, the, in, in this entrance now toward the, the reality of Jesus going to the cross, right? And this is where it will happen. It will happen in Jerusalem, This is known as the triumphal entry, if we remember. He entered on a donkey, fulfilling prophecies that the Messiah would enter in this manner. And people laid their cloaks and branches down, praising. And they shouted, Hosanna! Which, if we remember, means, save now! Please, save now! Hosanna! In the highest! They weren't aware of the real reason why Jesus had come. He had come to pay for the penalty of sin, right? by going to the cross, and they did not know that this is why he was entering into Jerusalem. But he is still worthy of that praise he is receiving. He is still God. And this entry into Jerusalem means there are only days before he would go to the cross. In fact, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Sunday and is buried on Friday. And just like all of the other things that went on during Jesus' ministry up to this point, And still now, as we go on, the religious leaders were not happy with Jesus. We see at the end of Mark, chapter 11, Jesus being challenged by the chief priests, questioning his authority. And in chapter 11, verse 27, it says, And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he he was walking in the temple, as Jesus, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Verse 28, And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gives you this authority to do them? They're still questioning him. Interestingly, in the the three synoptic Gospels, right, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right, all show this account of Jesus being challenged by the chief priests within the temple. It's all happened the same way in each Gospel. And actually, there are three distinct groups of people challenging Jesus. We have the chief priests, we have the scribes, and we have these elders. And all three of these groups made up what was called 
the Sanhedrin. If you guys have heard that in the Bible, this is what this was. These groups of people made up this group called the Sanhedrin, an assembly of these religious leaders of rabbis who were entrusted with the custody of the temple. It belonged to them in, in terms of their care for it. The scribes and the Pharisees were the men who studied, interpreted, and taught the law. So this was the group. These were the people who ultimately hated Jesus. He, they hated that he claimed to be the Son of God, hated that he performed miracles, hated that he would, be, he would cast out demons, and hated that he preached, that he was the way to the Father. And so this was the group who ultimately wanted to put Jesus to death. And they had plotted on several occasions how they might do that. So from this point, and throughout the whole week that Jesus is betrayed, by one of his own disciples, which will lead him to the cross, Jesus pulls no punches in speaking out against these religious leaders, right? Who are, who are surrounding him. He's also telling parables and talking in prophetic terms as the week goes on. Then we get to chapter 14, where we see Jesus' disciples, and Judas Iscariot is one of them, betray Jesus to one of the chief priests. To, to the chief priests, so that they would now come and arrest Jesus. You get to Mark chapter 14, verse 10 through 11. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and sought, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So Judas goes to the chief priests, as well as the officers of what we would call the temple police. These chief priests were not going to give up an opportunity to arrest Jesus, right? One of Jesus' own disciples says he will hand him over, and they're delighted. Because now having one of Jesus' disciples will, will, will help avoid a riot from the people, right? Something they were very afraid of and why they hadn't arrested Jesus earlier. And so they're excited about Judas coming to them, showing this willingness to hand Jesus over. But just to make sure, Judas doesn't back out of the deal. They decide to pay him a little bit of money. It's roughly about $20. That's what they gave him. And so we see Judas leaving them now, feeling this obligation to go through with it. And so he begins to look for an opportunity to betray, betray Jesus, which would come very soon. This betrayal is seen in two parts. First, it's done in secret with plotting and money given by the chief priests. And then there is this very public betrayal that Jesus goes through with in a garden where Jesus will, will, pay, will, will pray before going to the cross. Now Thursday is approaching, okay, where Jesus and his disciples will celebrate Passover. And this is the night before Jesus will die. Mark chapter 14, verse 12, talks about this first day of unleavened bread, it's called. Or more specifically, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread when they, the Jewish people, sacrificed the lamb. This, this celebration would last for eight days, and this is the first day of it. And so they are about to share this meal in this upstairs room in a house to celebrate Passover. Remember, If we remember, Passover marks the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt's slavery, when God, quote-unquote, passed over the houses of the Israelites during the last of the ten plagues. So the last of the ten plagues that were sent... To uh, to Pharaoh and the Egyptians was the death of every firstborn thing and person. Right? God told the Israelites that they will will that they need to kill the lamb, a lamb, and take the blood 
of that lamb and spread it over the doorways of their houses, right? And the Lord will pass over their houses and spare them. Because when he sees the blood from the sacrifice, he will know that these are God's people. So this Passover meal in Jesus, with Jesus and his disciples, and, and they're about to celebrate this, is a normal celebration for the disciples. This is something they do all the time, or every year. But this particular one will now always be remembered also as the Last Supper, the meal they shared together before Jesus went to the cross. So it's now Thursday night, right? And they're about to begin the, the Passover celebration. And Jesus and his disciples are reclining at the table, it says. Mark chapter 14, verse 18 says, And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? And Jesus said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. So Jesus is sharing this meal with the one who will betray him. He knows it's Judas. But this announcement causes the disciples to doubt and distrust, right? They all ask, including Judas, is it me? For 11 of them, this is an honest question, prompted by fear and lack of confidence in their own spiritual and moral strength, right? But for Judas, the question is motivated by deception, hypocrisy, and an attempt to cover up his intent, right? Jesus, being God in the flesh, shows he knows that Judas will betray him. It must happen this way. But there is a mercy in Jesus not divulging specifically who will betray him. What might the disciples do in response if they knew it was Judas? There's also mercy in Jesus speaking about this in this moment to them. Judas is literally in the middle of his betrayal toward Jesus. Here's Jesus speaking about it, warning about it. Judas is under this guilt and what, about what he's doing and fear of being found out. He's under pressure to complete, complete this betrayal from the chief priests. And here's Jesus extending grace to him, knowing his heart, exposing his heart. Judas does not repent. And yet Jesus sits with his disciples sharing this meal, including Judas, as he knows that Judas will still betray him. Mark chapter 14, verse 23 to 25, as we keep going through Mark, these these chapters, it says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Verse 23, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Jesus is taking this supper where they celebrate God's passing them over because of the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood of that lamb, and he is now turning it in it onto himself. He is speaking now about his sacrifice, his death, his blood. This idea that as they celebrate the fact that the sacrifice of the lamb is what saved them from God's wrath. There's now this picture of what it is about, what is about to happen with Christ. He will be the sacrifice. And the Father's wrath will be put on Him and will still pass over them and us. 
He uses this bread as an example of his body. The wine is an example of his blood that will be spilled. It is called the blood of the New Testament because the covenant of grace became a testament. This new covenant is now in place of the old one. Jesus coming to die was always being celebrated in the Passover feast. But now Jesus is making it perfectly clear. For those who celebrated Jesus, Jesus uh, coming would come to earth, they were looking forward to his coming, right, in the past. For us looking now, we look back at what Jesus has done. And so the covenant stands up as being valid throughout history and for the future. From before, for now, and what's to come. So if we kind of streamline a bit through the, these things, we see after these events, after the Last Supper, they all go to the Gethsemane, this place called Gethsemane. Jesus predicts, uh, predicts to Peter, he tells Peter that Peter will deny him. Jesus goes alone into a garden and prays sorrowfully about what is about to happen as he goes to the cross, yet never faltering on the will of the Father that he should go and die. Mark chapter 14, verse 43 through 45, and immediately while he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer, who is Judas, had given them a sign, saying, The one who, who I kiss is the man. Seize him and, and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi! And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Jesus is led away and brought to all of the chief priests and elders and the scribes. Peter falls behind in the shadows. All the chief priests and the elders and the scribes are trying desperately to accuse Jesus of something worthy of being put to death, but they could not find one to speak against him. During these accusations, Jesus is silent until Mark chapter 14, verse 61. Here's what it says. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him, to cover his face, and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. They asked Jesus, If he is indeed the Messiah, the one for whom they've been waiting. And Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds in heaven. This is the way the prophet Daniel had seen the coming Redeemer in Daniel chapter 7. It's the way King David sang of him in Psalm 110. It's the way Jesus described himself to the disciples throughout the book of Mark. And Jesus is looking down history's lane. He sees the miracles of the cross of Calvary the resurrection, the ascension to heaven, the coronation at the Father's right hand, Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit will come down on the people and the glorious return on the clouds of heaven and judgment day, all rolled into one, manifesting His power and glory. Then as it goes on, we see Peter deny Jesus. Jesus is brought before Pilate and is sentenced to be crucified on a cross. And now we see Jesus after enduring terrible beatings and whippings and mocking, carrying his cross to the place where he will be crucified. 
Mark chapter 15, verses 24 through 29. This is, this is, the, this is the one place where he, it shows he dies. It says, And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inception of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, waging their, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we might see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it, hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on, on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait. Let's see whether Elijah will come and take, take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from, the, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that he, in this way, he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. We talked a little bit about this before. This Roman centurion soldier. Centurion, meaning a soldier in the Roman army responsible for, for, for the command of, of what is called a sentry or 100 men, had witnessed the, scourging, the scourging, the mocking, the spitting, crucifixion, wagging of heads, and now has heard Jesus' last cry and has watched him die. And what is his response to seeing this broken Savior on a cross? Truly, this man was the Son of God. We go from Mark's opening his gospel in chapter 1 with, with the verse saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to the climax, climax of Jesus' crucifixion and death with the Roman soldiers confessing, truly, this man was the Son of God. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. He has conquered sin. He has paid the penalty for it. He has risen. The hope of a new beginning. We look at the end of the year and we celebrate its passing. We celebrate a new beginning in a new year to come. Hope of new disciplines, for new dreams, for kinder words, for, for better gain than the year before. And particularly for this year, this last year, we believe for a newness of that hope. But if we live our lives always looking for a new hope to get us through, we will be searching and searching to the end of our lives the way that we would search for a new year and a new hope of that year. Never truly finding it, this year has proved one thing to us, that hardship can, can compound onto itself. And we who are going through this pandemic and all of the consequences that go with it haven't stopped suffering in other ways. We still lose jobs. We still lose parents and brothers and sisters and school and friends. We're betrayed. We're, we, we're betrayed ourselves, like Jesus was, we're faced with our own betrayal toward others and toward the Lord. 
And so our hope for a new beginning can't wait until the end of the year. It can't wait for the next month. It can't wait for the next week or the next day. We need our hope for a new beginning to be minute by minute. And so we look to Jesus for that. Because though evil has not ceased to exist, our separation from the Lord has. And whether you know Jesus or not, you experience hardships. But if we, moment by moment, remember that Last Supper, remember the crucifixion, and remember that Roman centurion's confession of Jesus, we have that new beginning as often as we want. The Son of God has come to take away the sin from you, the sin from me regardless of the things that may come or have been. Our hope in the Lord gives us rest. It'll be okay. Just rest in knowing Him. Just take a breath and give up the things that you think are giving you hope. Just rest in the grace of Christ because He is our hope for a new beginning.